and I think there are a lot of men too, and I, I think I fit into this category of like almost feeling like you have something to prove. And like yeah. one, I love Addison very much, and I very much enjoy the time we spend together. But also like when we're out in public, like no, no, I'm rolling the stroller. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm involved <laughs> yeah. to show people like this is you know a normal family, yeah. and we can all have equal roles and equal responsibility. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. In today's episode, I'm talking to Alex Barron about his experience of being a father who is dedicated to parenthood and being an equal caregiver alongside his wife, Jessica, for their daughter, eight-month-old Addison James. Jess is a friend of mine and was my guest for episode 27 of the podcast. She and Alex met working for the American Cancer Society, where they both still work. Alex is originally from New York, but has been a New Jerseyan for about eight years, so congrats, Alex. He went to school at the University of Albany and studied political science and history. He started volunteering at the American Cancer Society shortly after he was diagnosed with testicular cancer when he was 15 years old, and he's been working for ACS for almost 13 years now in a few different roles, currently as Senior Manager of Survivor and Mission Engagement for the Development and Marketing Department. He's also a licensed real estate agent in New Jersey and has been doing that as a side hustle for almost two years. He's a huge Giants fan. That's a football thing, I think. And if he passes one thing on to Addison, Giants fandom will be that thing. It was so nice to get to sit down with Alex to talk about his approach to being a parent. And, you know, whenever I'm with Jess and she talks about um, Alex and Addie, you know, she always says when when Addie is with Alex, he's not babysitting her. He's just parenting. You know, they really do share share the caregiving role. And it's something that's really important to Alex. He wants to do this. And there are so many people who want to do it and who unfortunately don't necessarily have the type of workplace that makes that possible for them. They don't have the flexibility or the paternity leave or whatever support or maybe the maternity leave that they need um, and the support that they need. So we talk about how important those structures are to have in place. And Alex explains why it's so important. And um, and we talk about, you know, like some of the most important things he wants to bring to parenting and what he's learning about parenting. And we talk about some of the challenges, um, challenges around finding community and especially for dads. And, you know, we're talking about parenting, but I'm not a parent. And and yet I found a lot of what Alex talked about really applicable. We talk about parenting ourselves <laughs> and also just about relationships and being part of a family and a lot of the things that are important in a parental child relationship and in his partnership with Jess, you know, are important in all different types of relationships. So whether you're a parent or not, whether you want to be one day or not, I think there's a lot to learn from Alex, and I really appreciate his his very kind and very practical approach to all of this. Enjoy. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for having me to your home again. <laughs> I'm happy to be back at this kitchen table. Just a few weeks ago that I interviewed Jess, your yep. wife. From episode 27, I think. Um, Okay, so I wanted to start by hearing a little bit about a day in the life for you right now, or maybe like a week in the life, if that makes more sense, because you're wearing a different, a lot of different hats right now. Like you have a lot of different roles, like 
you're a father, you're a husband, you work for the American Cancer Society, you have your realty business, like, or your realtor business. Um, so what does a typical day or week in the life look like for you right now? Yeah, a typical day, I, I don't know, exists anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but a typical week, um, I'm, I'm up uh, every other day when Addison wakes up, um, which is normally around 5.30. We're, we're trying to get to that 6.30 point, but mm-hmm. we'll get there someday. Um, and, and it's a, those days, actually any day is a good day because I either get to sleep in or I get to wake up and see a smiling <laughs> face, which is both very exciting. Um, I work for the American Cancer Society. I've been there for almost 13 years. Um, so that's my nine to five job, which I love. And I get to work with, uh, cancer survivors and caregivers and, and tons of volunteers on different initiatives. Um, and I, I love that. Um, and it's not necessarily a nine to five job. We have, I have, uh, lots of conference calls at night with volunteers, uh, which I love very much. Um, also, uh, mixing in being a husband in there every now and then. Um, but I get to work in the same office as my wife. So I, I get to do that a little seamlessly and then nights and weekends. And when I can, I, I'm also a licensed realtor in the state of New Jersey, um, which is, it's cool to have a hobby that you can earn money. doing. So (laughs) it, it makes it a little, uh, exciting. You started working at the American Cancer Society when you were still in college, right? Like you were a senior in college and you saw a job, like you had been volunteering, right? Yep. You saw a job posting. Yep. I feel like that takes like a lot of chutzpah to be like, I'm not graduated yet. I'm just going to like go for this job opening. Like how did that come about? Well, chutzpah and disappointment (laughs) from my parents. Um, Yeah, I I had been volunteering for the American Cancer Society uh, for a long time. And during my senior year, I saw a job that was opened up and I figured, well, you you go to college to get a career. I could do this. Um, And so half, you know, so I applied and I thought I could do both at the same time. Mm -hmm. I, I, for a long time, chose career and eventually finished. But yeah, I mean, I was living in a dorm and like waking up to go to work and putting on mm-hmm. like a shirt and tie. I, I don't wear ties anymore. I used to think <laughs> that was important, but I would, I would leave the dorms at like seven thirty in the morning when people are just getting home. And, um, it was an interesting experience, but, um, that was also what was right for me at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was kind of seamless too. So it was a, it was a good opportunity. I just think that's really interesting. Cause I'm such a rule abiding, like, there is one way to do this and I have to do it that one right way, which isn't true, but especially like I've, I've grown a little bit past that. But at that time, I just think when I was 21, I would never have even considered that possibility. So I just think it's cool that you were like, yeah, I could do that. Cause it's true. Like, I'm sure you, you know, you've been there for 13 years now. Right. So like, um, so you were right. Right? Like, you <laughs> yeah, could you know, do it. It worked. And I, I really thought, I'm like, I have the experience and I knew people there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was just the, the right, I, I feel like I was the right person. It was the right time mm-hmm. and it was the right role mm-hmm. to, to get me started there. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm curious to know, like, I feel like for a long time now, there's been talk about women trying to balance, uh, especially like women who are mothers and who are also working outside of the home, like trying to balance, like trying to juggle everything and trying to balance all these different parts of their lives. And now, I mean, more and more men like yourself are taking more active caregiving roles. So I would imagine that means 
more of that pressure to like find a balance, particularly between like parenting and working full time. So I'm curious, like what that is like for you right now, that whole balancing act. Yeah. I mean, so much of it depends on your, your working situation. And I have one that it's about getting work done. I don't have to do it at my desk between Mm -hmm. the hours of nine to five. Mm -hmm. So that's really important that, you know, if I want to go to her three month checkup, Mm -hmm. I can very easily do that and I can plan around it and get in early and stay late and just make sure I'm getting things done. But it's interesting how others still view that. Um, One day, uh, my wife, Jess, she had to work and she had something she couldn't get out of and I had some flexibility. So I took Addison to an orthopedist. We had to go to a specialist. She's fine, all good. But I went there and the doctor said, do you not work? No, Mm -hmm. I I work. I work. (laughs) What what about your wife? Where's she? No, she works too. (laughs) This is just how this day worked out. She Uh, had a meeting. I didn't. This is how this day worked out. And he was like flabbergasted. Yeah. So it's interesting that, you know, as much as it feels much more normal mm-hmm. than it probably would have years ago that, that there are still places where it's, it's head scratching to yeah. see that. And, and I think there are a lot of men too. And I, I think I fit into this category of like almost feeling like you have something to prove. And like yeah. one, I love Addison very much and I very much enjoy the time we spend together. But also like when we're out in public, like, no, no, I'm rolling the stroller. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm involved. <laughs> yeah. You, you see that. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's to, to kind of show, not just ourselves and our family, but like to show people like this is, you know, a normal family yeah. and, and we can all have equal roles and equal responsibility. Yeah. And I know like I've, I've read that paternity leave is like such an important part of all of this. Cause it just sets the tone immediately of like in your workplace, like what is their attitude towards you being a father, being a parent? And then like, are you being set up with that flexibility to be able to be there? Um, so I'm curious, like, I know that you took paternity leave when Addie was first born. What were the reactions that you got both from people in the workplace, but also just from like people that you knew or people that you encountered? Like, did you feel supported in that decision to take paternity leave? Yeah, for sure. And I I, I know that there are, um, you know, other people that I've worked with in the past that may not have had the same level of support, mm-hmm. but... Um, right from the start, it's you tell me what your leave is going to be, you know, based on the rules that exist and, you know, the time of the amount of time I could take, you tell me, um, this is your time. You take it, you take whatever's entitled to you. Um, cause it's a mix. So I get, you know, two weeks of secondary caregiver leave, they call mm-hmm. it. Um, secondary, and, right. <laughs> that's right. We'll, yeah, cha- we, we'll change that. We'll yeah. get there. <laughs> and then, uh, after that I'm using vacation days and, um, when she was born worked out really well because I could use 2018 vacation days and then some of 2019. Mm. And so I was able to take a, a nice long time, but yeah, my boss said, this is your time with your family. And because family values are really important to mm. her, she was able to make sure that that was a priority for me. And the same goes for doctor's appointment, family first. Mm-hmm. You know, things come up and, you know, I, I feel that, that very much from her. And that, that makes me a better worker too. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think a lot of times we think, well, if they're out on leave, if right. they're doing this. No, I come to work ready to go knowing right. that, you know, my, my boss supports me in what I need to do outside of work. And that when I'm there, I'm focused on what I need to do because I'm not stressed about, I need to find a sitter for this because I can't do this and then, you know, it, it's, it's that feeling of 
safety mm-hmm. around, you know, your life. And when work can provide that, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like as a parent, especially like you are really going to appreciate the fact that you have health insurance that's paid for through work, yes. you know, yeah. um, like, and that security. And I read a really interesting article a couple of years ago where this woman was saying that like when she, before she had kids in her workplace, she and the other people who didn't have kids would kind of like roll their eyes at the moms who would like, um, you know, who were work, they were working moms. They would like come in right on time, leave at five on the dot, but they always like, you know, they, she would roll her eyes, but then she was like, but we were coming in Hanover like a half hour late and then staying later because we like, weren't really working that hard all day. We were like taking two hour lunches and stuff. And she was like, they were getting everything done, you know? (laughs) And when she became a mother, then she understood like, oh, they were just like on top of it, you know, like, because they had to be, um, so yeah, it's interesting. And I'm curious, I want to go back to like your experience of the paternity leave, but before that, I actually just want to go back a little bit more, um, actually a lot more. So <laughs> like, <laughs> when did you know that you wanted to be a father? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I, it's always, I think it was always just assumed, Yeah. you know, that, um, I don't think it was something that I felt I had to do. I didn't have any pressure to do it. Um, but it was just, I think it was something that I was wanted. It wasn't, you know, certainly at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was always something that I, I thought would happen and I'd be really grateful if it happened. Um, I I mean, I, I owe my, you know, expert, you know, my quote unquote, you know, Mm -hmm. knowledge as, as a parent right now and my, uh, comfort level as a parent to my parents because they're, they're very reasonable and logical and, um, you know, I, my mom actually hates this phrase, but I use it all the time. Like it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I have that mentality. And I think because of the way that they raised me and I, I think that makes a good parenting mindset because yeah. there are a lot of things you can't control, especially when it comes to parenting. And, um, and they were great. We actually saw my parents last week and we were talking about, um, like how they would be at everything. And my dad, especially like he would travel hours to swim meets and mm. mock trial competitions and, and, uh, my mom too, but all over the place. And again, that feeling of safety and support yeah. and, and knowing that like, I felt that I knew that was a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't necessarily know at the time, but I can certainly look back on it and say like, that was really important that I always felt supported. Yeah. I feel like that's an important combination. Like the it is what it is thing, like a sense of like grounding in reality and like not catastrophizing necessarily, like being able to, to deal with like challenges that come up. Right. But then also just knowing like they're always going to be there. Like they're, they're there for you and they're supporting like the things that you want to do. So you're like seen and validated as a person and you have that security. Like that's a really important combo because you could have parents who are there at everything who maybe are like really overbearing, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, why didn't you do this? How'd you yeah. do that? No. And it was that I remember like very constructive conversations about things mm-hmm. and you know, you didn't have to win. You had to try your best. You had to see things through to the end and you had to put out effort, mm-hmm. but you didn't have to win. You know, that, that was, that wasn't what it was. It was about the process yeah. and, and all that. And, and those, those are really valuable lessons. Yeah. What I grew up knowing is that, you know, as a father, I'm an equal part. I'm, I'm involved mm-hmm. um, as, as a parent. Um, my wife will say as like, you know, things around the home, I'm not as involved and I can <laughs> certainly do more laundry. But as a father, 
I do that. Yeah. And that was just the norm. And it's, you know, what, it's not what you're supposed to do. It's just what it is. Yeah. And, and yeah, it should be. And, and I take enjoyment from it. It's not yeah. a chore. I mean, diapers are a chore, but, <laughs> yeah. but it's not because you're spending time together and, yeah. and it's, it's quality time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a very different mindset of like it not being something you're supposed to do, but something that you want to do. Yeah. I just feel like there's a lot of kids who grow up not necessarily feeling like wanted or chosen. Like I know that sounds really sad and I don't even mean in like terribly abusive situations. I just mean like kids can pick up on the slightest, like, did you really want to have me? (laughs) Like That sounds, I I feel like that sounds dark, but I do, I do just think like kids can kind of sense like how much, a parent wants to, to be there yeah. for them. Yeah. And you know, my mom used to say that to me all the time. She's like, I am, I am biologically required to love you. Right. <laughs> that is natural. I don't have to like you. And I do though. Yeah. like, I yeah. like you very much. Yeah. And, and that stood out to me and, and it was always like, right, you do have to, you do have to <laughs> love me. But you know, I guess you're right. You don't have to like me. Yes. I think that <laughs> that actually articulate articulates well. I like that. I just stumbled on the word articulate. Um, <laughs> That articulates well what I was trying to say that because even for people where it's like their parent is meeting all of their, their survival needs, like, you know, they're not doing anything wrong, but if they don't feel like my parent likes me or like that they really wanted to be like doing all this stuff, like they can pick up on. I heard Brene Brown talks about, I think she actually got this from Toni Morrison. I think Toni Morrison said in an interview that like she started to pay attention to how she was responding to her children walking in the room like when they would like come come down to the kitchen for breakfast like she was noticing she was she would be immediately saying like tucking your shirt or Mm. you're running late or whatever and then she started like just like thinking I need to just tell them like I'm so happy to see you yeah I need them to just know like I'm so happy that you're here and I'm so happy to see you yeah and I, that always gets me because it's like, yeah. And it's something that can apply to like anyone that you are in a relationship with. Like, how are you greeting people? But I do think for kids, especially, it's like you pick up on, is my parent happy to see me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that, that's, that's really good to, to think about because right now it's so easy. Like yeah. every time I see her, yeah. it's a good thing. I'm happy. It's not that, you know, they left their room a mess or didn't right. do their homework and I don't have to deal with right. those things yet. So it's really good to keep in mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I'm, I'm curious about the, the period of when, when Jess was pregnant with Addie, like, cause I know for mothers, it's kind of like when a mother gets pregnant, um, she kind of instantly goes into like, okay, it's not all about me. Like I have to make certain decisions, like whether I like it or not, my body is taken over and like, I'm thinking for both of us now I'm acting for both of us. And so there's this like very very concrete like preparation period kind of. Um, so I'm curious like what that period was like for you. Was there anything that you were doing to try to prepare or were you like, how did you approach it? Yeah. I I think I just started making lists. (laughs) Everything was a list of like things we need to know, things we need to buy, things we need to do, things we need to be ready for. And like, all right, we got a childproof. No, no, we don't. That, that, <laughs> we, we still almost don't have to. Uh, no, now we do. But like, it takes time for all that stuff to come together. But like, I went into like, we got to get stuff done mode. Mm-hmm. Let's go. And then realizing it's nine months. It is a marathon and not yes. a sprint. So that, you know, so it went, it was really this roller coaster of like, let's go, let's go. Okay, we have plenty of time. Yeah. But no, now we have to go. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and I would imagine for you, it's like, well, okay, so like, what do I do now? <laughs> like, yeah. This baby is like, it's happening, but like, what do I do now? Um, I was reading a really interesting, um, the Pew Research Center did a study about like millennial fathers and how, um, just how like millennial fathers name par- uh, parenthood as like just as important to them as women who are parents, I should say, like, um, just as important as women say their, their parenthood is. And in this study, they also noted that millennial fathers view fatherhood as like a very integral part of their identity. Um, so I'm curious about that. Like what kind of role does being a father play in your identity at this point? Yeah. I mean, it, it changed immediately Mm. and, um, with with tons of pride behind it too. It's mm-hmm. that you know I'm I'm a dad now, and, yeah. and as Addison grows older, and you think what she does early on, and every day there are changes, and like those are nothing, and now all the changes are so significant, and you know in the end these will be you know yeah, and and there's there's just pride. It it you can't even explain it. And I remember uh, my dad while Jess was pregnant saying, "You're not even gonna remember what life was like yeah. before she was born." And that really happens immediately. Mm. It's it's this sensation, and it's not something that's planned. And I, I'm I'm actually I didn't know those those that info about mm-hmm. uh, millennial men, and and that's great to hear. Yeah, because I think the more involved fathers are, um, it just shows it's just more positive. You yeah, know, the more people that are involved providing you know safe foundational homes is is a good thing. Yeah. So. So that idea of being involved and, and going back to the paternity leave thing, like how important do you think that was for you to have that time to be here um, in your home with Jess and Addie like every day for a couple of weeks? How important was that? Uh, it was it was critical. I couldn't imagine not doing it. Yeah. Because, I mean, one, Jess is healing. Yeah. So for what she had to go through to then be the primary caretaker yeah. of a newborn is bananas, yeah. you know. I mean, that we expect them to do both at the same time. It, it it's it's crazy that that we don't automatically think to have more help around, and yeah. that we need that. So that was really important for me that that I was able to do that. But what it meant for us was that like really great bonding time. Mm-hmm. We were a new family, but we got to know who we were together Yeah, because it wasn't just Jess and I anymore. And we had to change our dynamic. It's, it's right. That's never going to be the same again, Yeah, but not being the same isn't bad. You know, it can improve. It can be yeah. different. And, and in a lot of ways it's, it's more fun. Yeah. So learning how that's all going to happen together is, was really important. And also depending on each other. Having a newborn is exhausting. You know, that that's one myth that is absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. So being able to rely on the other person and, and help each other out, um, I couldn't imagine it any mm. other way. What was something, was there anything that really surprised you or that was a lot more challenging than you expected? <laughs> so the thing that that surprised me was how Natural most things came. I have no experience mm. with babies. I don't think I've ever changed a diaper prior to Addison. Mm-hmm. Now I'm an expert. Um, but just that your instincts really mm. kick in and, and you're able to do things without um, having a ton of experience. Mm. 
But on the other side, the thing that's challenging is letting your mind run wild on those instincts mm. and, you know, how bad is this and, you yeah. know, how many times you have to restrain yourself from calling the pediatrician at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> um, so far, only twice. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it's it's hard because you're, you know that, uh, you know, I feel my parents did the absolute best and, and they did the right things by me. But whatever that was... 34 years ago, we do totally different things now. Mm -hmm. And whatever Addison's children's generation does will be totally different from now. So there's so much questioning of what are the things that I'm doing? What effect are those going to have? I know I'm trying my best, but should I be doing more? Should I be doing things differently? Do I need to read different books? Do Mm -hmm. I need to watch this YouTube channel and get all of this feedback? And so being enough is is a, mm-hmm. a constant struggle because it's like you're there's a human there and she's <laughs> yeah. gonna grow up to do things yeah. and you hope that they're good yeah and how much of what I'm, I'm doing now is going to impact that do you, what is your relationship to the to like watching videos or reading books or like how how much do you seek out things like that versus just kind of going like okay, I'm going to trust my instincts. I'm going to talk to the doctor, talk to people I know, but like, you know. I think it's a combination. Yeah. And that that's what works. And it's always talk to the doctor. Yeah. Old YouTube videos are not doctors. <laughs> yeah. If I can share any message, it's talk to your doctor. You know, there was one video we were watching trying to sleep train. Mm-hmm. And she was so confident on this video. And, mm-hmm. and she had all these people saying that they did it and it worked. Mm-hmm. And when we went to our pediatrician to talk about it, she said, what she's suggesting is not developmentally appropriate. She's Mm. not young enough to sleep or she's not old enough to sleep through the night. And it's the equivalent of saying like, lose 40 pounds in three weeks. Like, could someone maybe do that? Maybe, but that's not healthy and it's not, you know, going to work for most people. Um, So finding that balance of, all right, there were some good tools in there that we could use to prep for it or maybe use down the line at a more appropriate time. So putting that together with some of the things our doctor said versus the timeline we felt was appropriate. Yeah. Because there's a fine line of like, um, and I hope this isn't too much of a tangent, but of like what you feel is right, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for people who don't feel that vaccinations are right, Mm -hmm. the science is really clear. Mm -hmm. It's right. It's right unless they are uh, medically unable to Mm -hmm. get them. So you got to listen to the pediatricians on that one. Um, so, you know, things like that, where for us, that's not a question, you know, we're happy to do that, but for, you know, I, I can understand that for people who do question that, um, it, it, things become harder. There are a lot of difficult decisions. Yeah. No. And I don't think it's too much of a tangent. Cause I think that this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, even just for myself, like for someone who experiences a lot of anxiety, you know, it'll latch on to different things. So even just for, for my own health, you know, I'll, I got into a bad WebMD, you know, spiral uh, for months, you know, and it's like at a certain point, it's like, this is really unhealthy. And like, I think there's something just so interesting about maybe the way that we're a little bit more disconnected and like isolated from real people and like real community now where we're like, and we just want to like control things. So we're just like, okay, I'm just going to like Google until I find whatever it is that I think that I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, whatever answer I think I need. And it feels very vulnerable to like trust um, 
just a human being, you know? Because you think that's one person, but I have thousands of people on the internet telling me another thing. Exactly. Like there, (laughs) it's this information overload of like, okay, yeah, this is just one person I could go and find, but you can find a thousand different opinions and like at a certain point. Um, so I think that's actually very applicable. I mean, everything with parenting is funny because like when my sister is talking about um, parenting her kids, I'm often like, that's what I'm trying to do with myself right now. I'm really trying to sleep train myself. I'm really trying to like work more playtime into my day. You know, like I, it's funny cause we have to like parent ourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have, do you feel like you've learned like through being a father now through parenting Addie, do you feel like you've learned anything about like parenting yourself a little bit or areas where you, you, you need to, to parent yourself differently. <laughs> Absolutely. I think about that all the time because it's, it's, there's going to be a common time where she sees what I do yeah, and she hears the actual words that I say yeah. and all of those things will have repercussions and, and hopefully they're mostly positive, but there will be some that are negative and what are the things that I do and how are they going to impact her? And then, you know, I guess I should also think about it from the, through the lens of, I should do better things because that would be better for me. And maybe that's a a nice way to think about it too. But now at least I have the way to think about it of I should do better for her as well. Yeah. It gives you that like extra motivation, right? Yeah. 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 Is there anything in particular, like an area where you feel like you're trying to put that into practice? I think my health for, for, Mm. for sure in terms of like, uh, eating better and exercising more. I don't want that to be something she has to think about, Mm -hmm. you know, it should just be, of course we're active because we're just active. I don't have to think about it. We're active. I don't have to think about, you know, eating, you know, whatever, because I eat until I'm full and then Mm -hmm. I stop or whatever it is that, you know, making those habits instead of things that she has to learn. Right. Like not becoming a punishment or like something bad or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's something, there's something about that, like parenting yourself, parenting your child, like you're, you're nurturing. And I feel like girls are conditioned from a really young age for the most part. Like, you know, you're handed a baby doll, you're taught how to hold it. You're asked to babysit. Like you're kind of taught to nurture and not every girl or every woman really connects to that. Like it's not that it is inherently how all women are, but it, it certainly like is culturally how you're treated Whereas boys aren't necessarily encouraged to be nurturing. If anything, I feel like sometimes they're encouraged not to be nurturing. (laughs) So I'm curious about your relationship to nurturing and like, what was your experience of that growing up and, and what is your relationship to it now? You know, and it's interesting what effect we, we have on those things. And I look at um, my sister and my niece as an example of that, where, my niece is everything princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's six years old and wants her nails painted all the time and, and all of those things. My sister is not that person. Mm. Um, she has never cared about those things. She, she doesn't talk about those things. So whether it's TV or preschool or wherever she picks that stuff up, and that is really important to her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's interesting how much we can have that, but... I think all of those qualities are good. You know, I want her to, to be a nurturing person because I think those are generally good qualities. But I want her, you know, if she's not, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we want to expose her to all of the things. So, 
you know, I'm, I'm rough and tumble with her sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, age appropriate. She doesn't have all the <laughs> neck control yeah. yet, but you know, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, and it's funny because everything is catered towards what should, what girls should have at mm-hmm. certain ages. And, you know, the, the toys are a certain color and the outfits look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And there's a very clear distinction in every store of, you know, what clothes are supposed to be for what gender. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we do our best to kind of, you know, see both sides of it. And if, you know, there's one in the boys section that has really cool dinosaurs, on it, <laughs> we're going to get that. Yeah. Um, and just that she'll pick up on the things that are important to her are the things that she'll take with her. Yeah. Um, and, and I think if we do that enough, that can kind of be her, her mindset. Yeah. And for you, like, did you, do you feel like you were in touch with your nurturing side, like before you had Addie? Like in what way did that come out? I think so. I mean, so growing up, I always had more, uh, female friends than male. Mm -hmm. And so that was just... I don't know if it just worked out that way or that's where I was more comfortable, but that's just what I knew. And really, you know, starting in, you know, probably middle school or elementary school, even through high school, that was where, you know, I, I had most of my close friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was certainly part of it. And I think in other ways I, I try to be nurturing, um, and, you know, being in the, the nonprofit industry Mm. that I'm in too I think that shows and it's a female dominated industry and um so maybe not nurturing but just the maybe it's because more women have that trait Mm. and that's something I'm more comfortable with Mm -hmm. instead of um you know a different type of environment Mm. was your dad like you gotta play a sport or you know like what what kind of messages did he give you about about that so I don't think we had to, well, we may have had to play sports, but my sister and I both did. Yeah. So it wasn't because I'm right. a boy, I have right. to do this. Um, and there are know, good things about sports. I didn't mean to pick on yeah, that, yeah. but I just mean like, <laughs> did he, what sort of messages was he giving you about? Yeah. I, I don't remember certain, you know, things that, you know, well, I'm, I'm a boy, so I have yeah. to be doing this. Um, it was, you know, generally things that were expected of me were also expected of my sister. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I remember growing up. It mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, even things around the house, like, all right, I'll do this. The chores outside and you'll do the things inside. And there, there wasn't a, a stark division mm-hmm. like that for us growing up. We had to just do the same types of things. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because it does often get delineated. Like, okay, the girls are inside. The boys are outside doing the lawn work. And yeah. like, those, they're kind of subtle, but... But like they do definitely leave an impression, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it, actually, and my my sister is working to to bust that, and she just bought herself a, a lawnmower <laughs> and, is, and is doing it and make sure her daughter sees her, you yeah. know, mowing the lawn and doing that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. Like the the I I think it's like it doesn't really matter what like when as Addie's growing up, it doesn't really matter like what she's in like if she's super into princesses because that's like what she loves. That's great. But it's like, how, it, how does she feel about herself? Yeah. And like, how does she carry herself in the world? What does she think she deserve? And, you know, and uh, can she just like love herself and accept herself, right? Like yeah. in whatever that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are a ton of little kids who love pink and Barbies and all of that. Most of them are girls. Some of them are boys. And, but whoever it is, love that. Yeah. If that's what you are really yeah. drawn to. And I, I hope we create an environment that... If matchbox cars are your thing, great. We'll play with matchbox cars. Mm-hmm. And and 
Um, I think that's an important way to grow up because you don't have to think that you have to fit into a box. Yeah. Is there anything like, is there anything where you're like, do you ever get scared that what if she's in, what if she is really into something that I don't want her to (laughs) be into or like just the idea of like, she's going to be her own person. Like, and you want to celebrate that, but like, what if it really conflicts with, I, I think the, the the biggest challenge would be right now is cheerleading mm. because I think there, so there's competitive cheerleading, mm-hmm. which is great because it's gymnastics and tumbling yeah, and there, there yeah. are some real skills you can develop in that. And then there's cheerleading, cheering on the boys while they yeah. play sports. And um, that one, there's not a lot of development there. It's kind of yeah. just fitting into, uh, you know, like cheering on the boys. And mm-hmm. I think there are other things and, you know, maybe cheerleaders now, and I don't know, I haven't been in high school in a while. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they cheer on all teams and maybe yeah. it's, it's different than it used to be. But I, I think that's kind of the one thing we've talked about. Um, also dance recitals because yeah. they're just long. They're and that very is, that long. has nothing to do with feminism or anything no, like they're that. Very they're just very long. long. But also like they're, especially as I get older, like when I've gone to like my little sister's talent show and I see a group of like, eight-year-old girls in like these super like revealing kind of like like really not age appropriate costumes like I'm always just kind of going like man like what is like how do you navigate that as a parent like how do you draw the line and just be like "Mm, you're eight you shouldn't be dancing to a song that's like a thinly veiled euphemism for a sexual act while wearing like like a super like sexualized costume like how yeah. do you deal with that if that's what her brownie troop is doing like because <laughs> that's what it is you know yeah. it's like crazy I don't... and that's a good example too because that's other people doing that right it, it's adults who are picking the outfits and yeah. picking the songs yeah. and things like that i actually had to learn something from my wife when we were doing pictures for addison and we were doing like two outfits for it and one was this like super sweet swans and little hat bonnet mm-hmm. thing. And the other was like a cool outfit. So she was wearing jeans and little <laughs> yeah, tiny Adidas so sneakers. <laughs> and she was wearing this like halter top kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how is this six month old doing that? Mm-hmm. And what Jess said is like, no, that that's sexualizing uh, an infant, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like mid baby midriffs are fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with a baby midriff showing because they're babies. Mm-hmm. And I, I, so I'd say, that makes sense, right? Right. Like that, that's a me problem at that right. point and projecting. And I think different versions of that are like dress codes for girls in high school mm-hmm. and things like that. We're like, we're putting that on them. Right. Like that, that's not the bigger issue. But but in terms of like what you were talking about, like that's when other people start getting involved. And it's, you know, I, I think that's just generally a hard thing because as kids get older, more and more people have influence on yeah. their life. Coaches and teachers and, yeah. and all of that. And they're going to make decisions on that stuff. And do you let them go through with it and have a conversation with them and say, mm-hmm. you know, this is why we did this, but generally these are this is what we think about this and what do you think about that? Or, you know, you just kind of let it go and hope they understand or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Do you and Jess have a, di- have a dynamic where you can like pretty openly talk about... Because I've, I've heard people say like, instead of trying to like shield their kids from, you know, say they're watching TV and like a Victoria's Secret ad comes on instead of like turning it off, they'll be like, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like they'll actually try to talk to them about it. Cause they're like, well, they're going to see this stuff and, and I'm not always going to be there. Um, 
do you feel like you have a dynamic where like you can have like pretty open conversations about stuff and like where you can bring that to Addie as she gets older? I think Jess will be much better at that than I am. Mm. I think I still struggle with, um, in terms of conversation, I think I am a little bit of a prude when it comes Mm. to having those types of Mm. conversations. And, um, so I'm, I'm glad to have her because Mm -hmm. I think she can be direct and have those conversations. I, we haven't gotten that far yet. Yeah. You know, a <laughs> She's lot of like eight is, months older. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like I'm asking some really down the line questions. But we do talk about those things a lot of like, you know, what are our overall goals and how do we want to do things? I mean, we've talked about like, you know, what are we going to do if she drinks in high school? Yeah. And, you yeah. know, like that kind of stuff. And we start to figure that out. And like, we have a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's, and there's so much nuance that goes along with it too. Yeah. So, um, not specifically, but I think Jess will do a lot of heavy lifting <laughs> on conversations. Yeah. <laughs> um, mothers do definitely have a lot of caregiving responsibility. Um, like, for instance, I had two coworkers retire within the past couple of years who, like, they were working full time. They had adult children. They had elderly parents and they had grandkids. And so they were like working full time. They would go home and like make dinner for like their husband and like their adult son who's still living at home. And then they would babysit their grandkids from their other son. And then they would like, they had their like parent moving in with them and they were just caregiving all over the freaking place. And it was like never ending. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of conversation about women feeling like really touched out or like burnt out with caregiving at the end of the day, obviously those are like really extreme cases and you guys are in a different time and situation in life right now. But like, do you ever feel or experience like a caregiver burnout? So for me, I I don't feel too overextended, but you know, there are a lot of ways that right now I'm taking easier ways out where I know I should be cooking dinner because it's too expensive and you know, not healthy to, you know, order takeout, but I'm going to take the easy option Mm -hmm. now. And, um, you know, where, where Jess does that a lot less and does a lot more Mm. of those things. Um, so she's probably more tired than I am because Mm. she takes on more than I do. So, um, you know, I think that's an area that I want to do more at. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's weird on one side to say like, no, I'm not that tired. I'm not that burnt (laughs) out. Or on the other hand, like acknowledging that like I have, I have more to do Mm. and, and can be better at like not just looking at like as a caregiver for Addison, but Mm -hmm. like for my whole family. Yeah. You know, and I I think what works is that I think we do all kind of think that we're all caregivers in different respects, Mm -hmm. that we're all looking to take care of each other and that's how things get done. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that is really important for, and even for kids to have a sense of like, not too much responsibility. Like they shouldn't feel like they have to take care of, like they shouldn't have to feel like they take care of their parents, but to feel like a sense of I'm an, I'm an important part of this family and I have something to contribute. Right. Like giving them a sense of purpose kind of. Yeah. And, and that, and a sense of confidence that like they they can do things and they're entitled to do things. Um, yeah, that, that we want her to feel like, you know, as you get older, as you mature, you'll be able to take on Mm -hmm. more things. Yeah. I feel like that confidence is really important. And it sounds like you, I think you, in the bio that you sent me, you mentioned like that you've always been a pretty confident person. Yeah. Um, so even like in middle school when you were like more friend, like friends with more girls, like did you feel pretty confident in that? Like have, 
have you generally had a pretty basic sense of confidence in yourself and who you are? Yeah. You know, I, I never felt, um, I never felt that I had to worry about impressing people. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I think the normal amount that a middle right. schooler would, right. yeah. um, which is a, it's a lot, but, <laughs> um, but it was never about that. You know, I, I always felt like comfortable in my own skin mm. and like what I wanted to do was, was a good enough path. And if I felt good about it, then that works. And because it's not, I don't have the sense of like taking the easy way out for something. Mm. So then I feel good enough that, that I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going down the right path for it. It's not just something that I can put behind me and that's it, whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, I've always kind of felt that and I don't know how I got it. And I think a lot of it goes back to that foundation and safety mm. and things like that. But, um, you know, I used to be like, you know, kind of class clowny and very mm-hmm. outgoing mm-hmm. and all of that, you know, because it doesn't matter what you think. Like, it'd be mm-hmm. great if you laughed, but I was just being me anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it sounds like if you did have that feeling at home of like, yep, my parents were always there. They like me. Like, that's a pretty good place to start, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like now you have a sense of community or just support around you um, now that you're a parent? Like, do you, you know, there, there's the whole, like, it takes a village to raise a child. Like, yeah. do you feel like you have a village um, around Addie and, and do you feel like you have support around you as you're doing this? Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. Cause I think that's there, there are two answers to that. And one is, you know, on, on one hand we have a line of people who are upset with us because we don't give them enough babysitting. Yeah. Yeah. And like we, we really have so much support and, and on, on that side, it's great. We don't have as much day to day. You know, Jess lost her parents um, earlier in life. Um, my parents live far away. Um, um, so does my sister. Jess's sister is you know in Brooklyn, which is not you know very close. Mm-hmm. So we don't have that immediate sense mm. nearby, um, which we feel every now and then. Yeah, you know, it's something that you wish you had more of. Um, but you know, we we feel the support when we need it. You mm-hmm. know, everybody's a phone call away. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting to just the general sense of community, you know, in our, in our town. And, um, you know, we don't have that just yet. We feel like we'll get to it yeah. soon enough, you know, maybe once she's in school and we start to meet more people, mm-hmm. um, you know, once we take her for walks and start to meet more neighbors, but, you know, we don't know a lot of people. Yeah. So that's, you know, or the people we know are farther away and things like that. So, you know, on the one hand, we know a lot of people who are ready and willing to help us, but on like the everyday, we don't necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, have all of that. So it's interesting to have both of those going on at the same time. Yeah. And I feel like that that's probably a fairly um, common experience for a lot of people, like in our area, especially in our country, you know, like there's a lot of people who you don't necessarily live super close to your family. Like you don't necessarily have, you know, you don't necessarily have super close relationships with your neighbors or, you know, like, so you, I can imagine that day to day can sometimes be like, man, I wish that we just like had someone right next door who could like 
you know, watch Addy for a half hour so we can go run and do that errand that we both really need to do or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it, and it's, you know, it's funny. We have a, a neighbor that's diagonal to us. We have no idea who lives in that house. Like people come and go mm-hmm. and we're just, we don't know who the actual neighbor is. Yeah. And, you know, we could certainly go over there and do more. Um, but I feel like times have changed a little bit yeah. in that sense. And you don't go next door for a cup of sugar. Yeah. We don't have those same relationships. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a different dynamic. And it, I, I feel like for, for dads, too, like it must be, it must be like, I feel like it must be a little bit lonely sometimes because I think that women are a little bit quicker to like, I don't know, reach out to each other and like emotionally connect or like there's so many like blogs online and like social media accounts for moms who are like sharing the like details about their lives and connecting with each other. And do you find like, is there, is it, am I like, am I making a false assumption? No, or? no. So you're a hundred percent right. So all of like the Instagram accounts that yeah. I follow for like parenting tips are all like, Hey mamas, yeah. here's the newest blah, <laughs> yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. And all of them are that way. And then the one dad one I found, everything is tech driven. Mm. So it's like the dads only care about the new webcams right. and uh, not webcams, you know, Baby monitors, baby monitors, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and they only care about that stuff. And it's all like tech and strollers as though mm. they're cars. And I mean, maybe this goes back to having more female friends than male, but like, I don't care about cars. I don't care about <laughs> yeah. technology. Like, I'm just not, I'm just not into those things. So um, they're all about that. And so I can't get good information there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, you, you hit the nail on the head. I smell a niche that you could fill, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a third gig yeah. on top of everything else. Um, yeah, I'm curious about that because I feel like, especially after college, just from talking, just anecdotally, just from from people that I know, it sounds like, I mean, it's hard for everyone, I think, to make friends as adults. I hear that a lot. But it sounds like it's like even harder for men. I don't know. Yeah. You, well, and I, I, I'm an interesting case on that where like, um, my best friend from high school, um, I'll talk to him like three times a year mm-hmm. and like, and we're, it's we right back where you left yeah, off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like we, we don't talk frequently, yeah. but when we do, it's right back there. And so, um, you know, yeah, I never feel like I need to make new friends. It's mm-hmm. like, I've got like my small group that I, if I need something, I know they're always there. I've got Jess and Addie, like I'm good with that. Yeah. Um, and so, and you know, maybe I'm not seeking enough out, right? So maybe more, you know, more things exist for people who seek it out. Mm. But you know, in terms of finding it online, I don't necessarily do that. Yeah. Yeah. And but but it is funny because I do think that some even people who seek it out, like it does, just sound like it is. It can be difficult because, like, in the same way that you know, the like dad dudes online are like hyper-focused on like the gadgets and stuff. Like even, um, I, there's a great, I read something about like, like when women spend time together, they're often like sitting across the table from each other. Like say you're like getting a cup of coffee or you're getting dinner, you're like looking at each other. And when men do stuff together, they're often like shoulder to shoulder. Like they're, They're doing something together. Like, like maybe they're fishing. And, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're fishing. They're going for a run, or like you know, they're there. There has to be something that they're like. Or playing video games is like a huge thing, right? Yeah. But um, like I was talking to someone recently 
who listens to the podcast, so maybe you'll recognize yourself, but I won't name her, <laughs> um, who was saying that like her, her boyfriend had a lot of like a, a close group of friends in college and he would like play video games with these guys like every day. Um, but she would just find that like he didn't know things about them that like she was friends with one of their girlfriends and like one of the girlfriends was like, oh, did you know that, you know, my boyfriend's parents are getting divorced and this was, you know, it's getting confusing when I'm not using names, but my, the person I was talking to, like her, her boyfriend didn't know that his best friend's parents were getting divorced. Yeah. She was like, how do you not know that? Like you spend time together every day. Yeah. Um, but they're playing video games. They're not necessarily like connecting. And I'm, I'm just always curious to know like what that's like. Is it something that like a lot of men are, and I'm, I'm like make, I'm making a lot of generalizations about gender in this episode, but like generally speaking, where it's like a contentment thing, like, oh, we don't really need to, like, we can feel connected, we don't really need to talk about that stuff? Or is it something that men would like to talk more about, but you just don't, like, know yeah. how in our climate? So it, it's funny because <clears throat> the, the friend that I was just talking about, the last time we saw each other, we went for a hike. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just sit together, so we were <laughs> yeah. doing that. And when I got home, Jess said, you know, how's Ryan doing? What's this? What's that? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. We, we didn't talk about that. Yeah. You know, so, you know, but I, I feel like we connected and we talked about right. important things. Right. And, um, yeah, you know, I think it depends on, on the, the time and, you know, there's, there's almost like a buildup and, and I feel this way. And I think I know a, a other men that feel this way that like, you know, when you're at a Yankee game or you're there, you know, you're, you're at, you know, playing golf or something, you're not just ready to go into something. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, you know, I'm having this thing with, with my wife or my family that I want to talk about. You really have to gear up for it. Yeah. And I know I feel that way mm-hmm. that like, before I talk about it, I have to think about what I want to say. Do I want to say this much? Do I not want mm-hmm. to mention that? How much do I want to share from them? And, um, you know, and I, I'll use Jess as an example. Like when she shares things with people, like she's ready to go yeah. and it's important for her to share things with people and to have that relationship. And I think men are, are just more guarded. And I know a lot mm-hmm. of it is because we're told we're, it's supposed to be that way. Yeah. You know, you don't cry, don't have that emotion. And it takes a lot to, to push through that. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that must be hard. I think about like the amount of time that my girlfriends and I have just spent like word vomiting everywhere. And like to a certain extent, it's good to get to a place where you mature a little bit and can like reel that in a little bit. But, um, but I, I can imagine that there's a lot of pressure there to like keep, keep things in or keep things together in a certain way. Yeah. How do you think of of that in terms of like your relationship with Addie? Yeah. You know, I, I want her to have a healthy relationship and, and I think that's, that's that, um, healthy relationship is the, is the term because it's not, I want her to always talk about your emotions Mm -hmm. because you want to reel it in sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's where I I get, I think Jess and I balance each other out where, you know, I hold everything in and and she can, (laughs) you know, talk about everything. And like, there's this balance of like, um, being able to talk about the things that you need to talk about, but you know, sometimes figuring things out on your own, mm-hmm. um, I think you can get strength from that too. Self-soothing a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. As we talk about sleep yeah. training, yeah. You're <laughs> some self-soothing. So 
again, I think that's where our differences help her figure out, figure that out along the way of like, you know, seeing one version of it, seeing another version of it and finding what works for her along the way. Mm. Is there anything that you are particularly proud of right now in terms of being a dad? (laughs) I'll give you a moment to like, yeah, well, <laughs> just I'm, be positive. <laughs> I, man, you know she and and it's nothing we did. I'll pray. You know, I'm not saying like <laughs> we we raised a great baby. I mean, we, we did and are, but she is just so happy all the time. Yeah, and. I mean, I'll pretend that it's just because, you know, we're happy and and she feels comfortable and safe. And even as an eight-month-old, she knows those things. But, you know, we were just in Montreal. And, you know, we'd take the subway to see, you know, the sights and everything. And people would stop us on the subway and say, she is the happiest baby. (laughs) And she just smiles at strangers and laughs. And I I, I absolutely love that. And it's it's such a, a great feeling. Yeah. And... Um, you know, and, and the opposite when she cries that it's just, you know, what can I do? Yeah. What can I do in this moment to, to make you feel better? Yeah. Um, and it's hard because again, you, you want her to self soothe. You don't want to be there for every moment so that she right. has to depend on it. Um, but, uh, just, just so proud of her already. What does she do? What is there to be proud of? She's eight months old. She doesn't do anything, but I'm proud of her. Yeah. And, and it's just a, an awesome feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that you're proud of with you and Jess as parents? You know, we, we've really kept up our communication. Mm. And I think that's something that's always been a strong point of ours and that we're able to talk through things. Yeah. And we are certainly entitled to get upset with each other if we don't like what's happened or if someone did something. That's totally okay. That's going to happen all the time. But that we can talk through it and we can figure out solutions together and that we're good partners together. Yeah. Um, you know, with me doing real estate on a weekend or something, you know, it's not, um, we, we joke around about babysitting, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not babysitting when it's your child, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll talk about, oh, you may, you making me babysit this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we have a good balance of her being able to do things, me being able to do things, um, and not making everything about Addison because mm-hmm. we're still individuals. We still have lives. We still want to, um, feel that sense of, you know, having your own life. And a big part of that is being a father and a parent and all of that, but you still want to have that sense of you're your own person. Yeah. Um, so I think we're able to, to do that for each other. And you know, what's so interesting about that is like, I, I've mentioned this person on the podcast a couple times now, cause I'm, uh, her name is Esther Perel and she's a couples therapist and I'm uh, listening to an audiobook of one of her books right now. And she talks a lot about like how important it is to have, yes, to have like intimacy, but also to have healthy separateness. Like it's an integral part of a good relationship is to like actually have that healthy. Like, I think she quotes someone saying like, everyone needs to have their own secret garden. Like, (laughs) like just their, their own individual, like their own self that's still being, um, that's still being taken care of and isn't totally engulfed. And I feel like as important as it is for like, for partners, I feel like that's also really important for like parents and children in their relationships. Like I still, as a parent, like I'm still a person Yeah. (laughs) and like, you're also a person, like we're in a relationship that's really special and important and it's important for us to be connected, but it's also like really important to have separateness too. Yeah. And that, that 
it's an interesting challenge for us because we work in the same office. Yeah. So, I mean, there are weeks <laughs> where we spend every waking moment yeah. together. And um, and then while we're home, it's every waking yeah. moment as, as a family together. Yeah. So finding that time uh, is important and um, not always easy, but, yeah. but it's, it's definitely important. What do you like to do for your, just for yourself? So I actually, so I enjoy the real estate as a hobby. I don't, I don't think of it as a job, um, in that sense. I mean, it is, and there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it, but I enjoy, um, doing that piece of it, but I'm a homebody. So like my way of like getting that time is them leaving and (laughs) (laughs) getting to play Madden or something like that. And just being able to be at home and like, (sighs) yeah. Yeah, that's my... I totally get that. I know. (laughs) It takes a lot for me to, like, get myself out the door sometimes. (laughs) Yep. Um, Is there anything... Is there anything that you wish people talked about more, paid more attention to, or just, like, were more aware of when it comes to either parenting in general or, like, being a... Fatherhood, being a dad in particular? Something that, that Jess and I talk about all the time now is um, that we don't know how single parents do it. Yeah. And so um, that they are amazing. Yeah. It's, it's not just something that like politicians say on a stump. Yeah, yeah. That like, and I think because we hear it all the time in that sense of like, you know, we have to do this for single mothers and like, no, no, no. But like, we really do. <laughs> yeah. We really do because... Um, it is challenging and all of that. And, and with a partner, it's challenging all of those things. So, um, that, that's the biggest realization that, that we've had so far mm. is, and we, I think we, we think about that every day. Yeah. Cause again, it is like, we don't necessarily live in communities where the responsibilities can be more easily kind of shared, right? Like a lot of people yep. are, we're kind of on these islands a lot of the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and if, you know, we don't have, um, a, a great employer who's willing to go the extra yeah. mile, we don't have guaranteed rights that, that really ensure someone can take the amount of time to be with their children and, and set up that bond in, in, yeah. the, in the beginning. Do you have any Addison stories that you just like or a, a particular Addison story that you just want to share. I mean, uh, so the, the the ones that initially come to mind are her pooping on me. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'm gonna try to think of a better one than that. <laughs> so it it's gonna seem more serious, but I'll, I'll preface it with that everything was okay and, okay. and ended okay. Um, and I, I alluded earlier to, you know, having to call the pediatrician late at night. Mm-hmm. One night we didn't love her breathing mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it, it sounded off. So we called the doctor and she said, yeah, you should go to urgent care. Mm-hmm. We went to urgent care and we put her on the table and she is just so laughing and smiling <laughs> and they're like, look, it, it's like midnight. What do you do? like? And we're like, no, take her temperature. And so they take her temperature. Oh, okay. She does have a fever. And then she gives that like bark cough, mm-hmm. um, which we later found out was croup. And, mm. um, so they said, oh no, no. Okay. So you take her to the ER. They oh, can wow. treat her better than we can. Um, and they were closing. So that's a different story. <laughs> but so once we get to the ER and they're doing the same thing, like, why are you here? It's now one in the morning. She's giggling on the table. Yeah. Go home. And then we said, no. And then they found out she had the fever and they heard the barking cough. And it's, oh, 
no, we need to give her a steroid. That that's wow. important. So they they had to treat her there. But it was just like, even through all of that, she is laughing <laughs> yeah. and giggling, and like no one would believe that she was sick because. Yeah. Um, so I think that was two things. It was one like we trusted our instincts mm-hmm. and like did something about it because we we knew her. Um, but two, it was just like that's like her defining moment so far. Like <laughs> she will laugh through, yeah. you know, a, a, a midnight and 1am visit to, to the ER yeah. um, because that's just her. Oh, <laughs> that's really sweet. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, it's interesting. Like I think for kids and for people who are naturally like easygoing in nature and of a more like maybe cheerful nature, like, some, sometimes it is like also that much more important when if they have a moment where they're like not happy mm. that I still love you. Like, yeah. you know, like you don't have to be that all the, all the time. Right. Like, or it's okay if you're not, if you can't keep that up all the time too. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, and it's a good point too. I mean, we put so much into that right now that you're so happy. You're yeah. so, but like, but it's okay if you're not. Yeah. Right. Because it's, you, you feel how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. There are going to be, like, moments, right? Um, there will be. <laughs> <laughs> but for now. Yes. <laughs> one step at a time. Yes, yes. Okay, so I think, I think we've come to the, the question <sighs> that Alex has been dreading. <laughs> What's something that you're learning about or growing into right now? And it doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't even have to be about anything we've talked about. It could be maybe you're learning a new trick in the Madden game that you like to play <laughs> that you haven't mastered yet. Uh, I, I really was dreading this. And then <laughs> what I did was um, I spent so much time dreading it that mm-hmm. I, I never got to an actual answer. <laughs> um, I, I feel like a lot right now. Um, and it, it's funny, Jess and I had this conversation um, because she was given that question as well. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we talked about what, what learning meant. And I said, I don't know that I do a lot of, like, intentional learning mm-hmm. in, the, in the sense. And, you know, I said, like, I don't think about, I wonder what this is. Right. And then go look it up and figure right. it out. But I, I do learn in the sense of, like, I, I still, you know, watch the news and read the newspaper mm-hmm. and, and talk to people and figure things out that way. Um, and learning how to be like a better version of myself, but that is, you know, I, I think that, that sounds a little cliche, but just continuing to work on that, especially in the sense of like with empathy for other people mm. and like in the climate that we're in, I think a lot of times we talk about political correctness, but really if we said like, oh, I'm tired of political correctness instead of like, oh, I'm tired of tre- treating people the way they ask to be treated and <laughs> yeah. um, like really listening better and, and doing yeah. a better job of that um, is, is something that I think as a, you know, a white cis man, like I have an obligation to spend a lot of time learning about now. Yeah. Um, and I didn't necessarily think of it as learning, but mm-hmm. it is. It's the podcasts I listen to. It's the videos I watch. It's the articles I read that that help you know guide my opinions and things like that on 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 that issue. Yeah. On those issues. Do you think has there have there been any moments where you've noticed like like oh um, 
I could have had a little more empathy there or like a, a situation or maybe where you were like, oh, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have understood this. But today, like I actually really feel where that person's coming from. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, I've always resonated with a Michael Scott quote mm-hmm. from the office mm-hmm. and that's never a good thing. <laughs> no, it's always a good thing. <laughs> Um, and, and he, he's, uh, talking about the word gay and he says like, mm. you know, when, when I was younger, it meant this, but now it, it means it, no, mm-hmm. it, it's, oh, and, and so I always feel like that, that like, that like 14 year old Alex, mm-hmm. like was probably like not great in terms of like LGBT, mm. um, like saying the right things for that. Yeah, so, yeah. um, I, I feel like I've learned a lot from that, that like, the words we do really do matter. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because I always think about like, but I really didn't mean it that way. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that doesn't matter. Like your intention in that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you're still not using that. Yeah. So um, I, I think learning about intentions in that way yeah. is, is something that's shifted because probably into my, my later teens, I, I probably dug my heels in a little bit and said like, no, but I don't mean it that way. Yeah. So I should be allowed to say it. Right. No. <laughs> you know, I, I want to shake older, you know, younger yeah. me of like, no, that, that's not how that works. Um, so, so I think I, I've come a long way in terms of like understanding of, of how, how we speak and present ourselves, like what that really should mean. Yeah. Yeah. The whole intent versus impact thing. Like my head often creeps there too of like, well, but if I'm intending and it's like, again, it's like the you know, the person who has the power to have a good intention, you know, like they've had the benefit of the doubt for most of history. Right. So it's like, all right, let's just try, let's just (laughs) see what it's like. If we, if we start to act as though our impact matters more than our intent, you know, and that we can still like, we can, we can grow and learn. It's not a condemnation of us as whole people. If we say, Oh, I made a mistake or I didn't know that or you know, I didn't fully understand and now I'm right. learning. Right. And I think that's, that's the big piece too of not like, you know, so if, you know, not labeling everyone who makes a mistake by whatever yeah. label that we can put on that person, um, people can grow, evolve and learn. And if we can use learning opportunities to make us all better, then that's great. Um, because it's not just black and white. And, you know, I think for a lot of people in our country, we don't have as much exposure as we think we do. And so we, we were able to make assumptions. And I'll say, even as you know, someone in a diverse area of New Jersey, so I don't know what it's like to live in a rural area. Yeah. And, you know, and you know, we like to, like to project on people in rural areas and say, well, they should you know, think about what it's like here. We also need to think about what it's like there. And I think, it's, again, it's that more like if we all thought, had a little more empathy. Yeah. Um, and and it it's hard to think about fatherhood in that sense of like that's a huge burden to put on a child to like be well, or maybe it's not if it's natural mm. right i'm thinking like i feel like i have to think about this all the time mm. but what if she doesn't have to think about it right so it, and it, i think like her generation is probably going to have a lot to teach us mm-hmm. because i'm noticing like I'll see on social media people posting about their kids, like really surprising them with like how much more they just kind of get it because the culture is changing. Like it's not perfect. It's not like done, but like I saw, you know, post, um, and who knows this stuff could be staged. I don't know. (laughs) But this, this mother posted that her son, like, uh, I guess her son's class, they had to dress up as like a historical figure, someone they admired 
and he chose to dress up as like the first female professional drummer. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, like boys never dress up as women from like girls yeah. dress up as men from history. Like you'll see a little girl dressed up as like George Washington or right, whatever. Right. And it's the cute. Big Abraham and, Lincoln yeah, hat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I was like, oh yeah, like boys don't really dress up as girls. And she was just kind of saying like, you know, um, she said, you know, I said to him, like, what are you going to say if, if other boys or other people make fun of you or, you know, just trying to like prepare him kind of to think about how he would respond. And he was, he said, I think he was like eight or maybe he was like 10, but he was like, I'm going to say my masculinity is not that fragile. (laughs) 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 So if that's a true story, but I do hear a lot of these things, like just kids being a lot more kind of like accepting and with it. Yeah. Uh, like I was in a high school for my job. Um, we were having like a little poetry festival at a high school and we were meeting with a bunch of kids who are in this poetry club, which by the way, like the poetry club was way bigger than <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think we even had a poetry club at my high school, but if we did, it would have been two people. <laughs> um, there were a bunch of kids and like pretty much all of them were identified as queer. Like they were just having a conversation about this, um, or just casually talking about it. Um, and I was like, when I was in high school, I think maybe two students were, were out, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so in 10 years, like that's a pretty big difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I uh, had a conversation with someone recently and her 13 year old son came out and she said, we're going to throw you a part. We're going to have a coming out party. And the 13 was like, mom, stop it. <laughs> like, and for them, there's no coming out. It was really right. just like, Hey, just letting you know, these, these are my preferences. Like just, just <laughs> yeah. like a heads up. And it's not a thing. Yeah. And and it was like it's I think for our generation, like it's like a right, right, you don't have to come out. Like right. it, you know, like you don't have to the way it used to be where like it's this big announcement right. because people can talk about it and yeah. people can feel comfortable um in, in a lot of places. And I think there are still a lot of places that they can't feel right. comfortable. Right. Um and that's where we have to work, but it's it's great to see that there are places where people are just like, Yeah, that's just what it is. Yeah. And in the broader culture, like there's just so much more representation now, like yeah. increasingly so. So it'll be so interesting to see like what Addie yeah. teaches you. Yeah. And this was a very fruitful conversation about what you're learning. So <laughs> I think you aced it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. This has been lovely. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. No, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so excited to share it. And one day Addie will listen to this. And she'll listen to Jess's, and then she'll get to decide which one is better. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials Podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn.